Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas, Ice House is blaring on the stereo, it's humid and dangerous, and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, dad and I are finally going to go back, back, Back to the year 1980, and each week we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book, and Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hi everyone, and welcome to Loose Units Origins, the weekly podcast where I catch up with my dad, John Verhoeven, and we talk about cases from his time as a New South Wales police officer back in the 80s. But before we plough into this episode, Dad... Happy yes, birthday. Oh, thanks, mate. So, um, today is my birthday. Yeah. But for those wonderful people listening, of which I know there are lots of them all over the world, mm. when you hear this, imagine me saying what you're about to hear or mm-hmm. reacting to the way I'm reacting. Yes. Happened, depending on what time zone you're in, uh-huh. approximately 24 hours ago. Provided you listen at roughly the moment it's released, you will be a full day too late to wish Correct. that happy birthday. Yeah, but but, so, but belated happy birthdays are always accepted. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a bit, there's a cutoff. If someone wishes you happy birthday six months too late, it's like, why not just wait till the next one and wish me happy birthday twice? But if you want to get dad a present, I guess, dad, what do you want for your birthday? Um, what would I like for my birthday? Hmm. Apart from the obvious things in life, um, which are winning lottery tickets. Sure. Not winning as in winning Winning some some lottery lottery tickets. tickets, Yes. But the winning lottery ticket. Uh Uh-huh. Why don't you just ask for money? Um, Because, like, if you want to get someone to get you the winning lottery ticket, that is, I think, unless they work at the kind of lotto advisory board or whatever... That's not really possible. So why not just ask for money? Okay, but but yeah, but then there's no thrill—the joy of winning. Yeah, but if you know it's going to be a winning lottery ticket, then there's no thrill either. Fair call. But can I just say at this juncture, Paul, mm-hmm. to you and everyone, that the thrill of giving 
far outweighs the thrill of receiving. I respectfully disagree. Are you serious? Well, no, I love giving people presents. It's really enjoyable. But if somebody nails the perfect present and they give it to you and you are genuinely surprised and overjoyed, I definitely think it's slightly better um, than, than giving a good present. It's Don't get me wrong. I'm saying they're kind of within the same ballpark, but gosh, mm. it's such a treat just to get amazing presents. I mean, True. I've got you a present because you and mum finally after a year of not being able to see us because you've been, you know, trapped in Sydney get to come to Melbourne and yeah, spend some time with us for your birthday. So there's a present waiting for you here. Okay, well, um, I was sitting on the uh, on a bench this morning, not by myself, but with my running compatriot. Compatriot. Anyway, and yep. he um, he gave me a uh, a lovely birthday present from oh. from both he and his wife, mm. which is pretty exciting. Um, now, Paul, I've got something special for you because I missed your birthday. Um, so, yeah, it'll be great. Because your birthday was uh, from memory a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was January fifteenth. So, That's it. Yep. yeah, oh, um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's going to be great to see you. I actually have a question about police officers and birthdays. At any point during your time on the police force, or you know what, even in the fire brigade, was there any sort of special mention around the station or any sort of thing that was arranged? Generally speaking, if it was the birthday of an officer while they're on duty. Look, I think things were kept fairly low key. Um, I sat with my friends, another group of friends, because I do have more than one friend, believe it or not. And I sat with another group of friends this morning and I didn't even want to tell them it was my birthday today. I kind of wanted to tell them, but I also didn't want to tell them. You know, you can take a leaf out of my book and just barrel the people who forgot and say, it's my birthday today, and just watch them sort of panic. Okay, well, well, there's one better than that, Paul. Uh And that's to tell them the next day that it was my birthday yesterday. Oh, right. I like doing that. In terms of the police force, let's say it's your birthday, it's mid-February, mm-hmm. and yep. you are, you know, um, you're on the road, and I keep thinking there's got to be some, because if you work at a shitty office job, someone will, like, you know, Cheryl from HR will get up and, you know, make everyone sing happy birthday as you all eat kind of stale cake in the lunchroom. Mm. You're on the police force. The, the stakes are significantly higher. I would assume the birthday accolade should reflect the magnitude of the job you're doing, surely. Um, it sounds all very good in theory, Paul, and I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and you did mention this. Uh, you gave me a little bit of warning. In fact, you gave me at least 24 hours warning or notice to come up with some amazing stories, birthday-related, mm-hmm. and there are none. The only oh. sad thing about working on your birthday was working on your birthday, which was right. really, really, you know, I mean, that's was the it, thing about shift work. Was there any leeway at all? Could you say, it's my birthday, I would like the day off? Or Oh, God, no. You'd really? Have to go, you'd have to go sick. I mean, right. you know, look, but you're not, you're not working for 24 hours or at least, you know. I guess if you're on a ship or, um, you know, like in the Navy. Yeah. Or, uh, and it's your birthday, I think it is probably a little bit more different because I think out to sea, but for example, and, I, and I've never been in the Navy, but, you know, I guess it would be really lovely to uh, to share when you're not with your family, yeah. um, which you kind of, you could, you could almost say with emergency services that to a lot of people, um, they are your family. 
And, um, I mean, you could always be discreet and let someone know on the QT. But imagine if you're having a sort of a celebratory cake or something and all of a sudden, you know, there's an armed robbery in progress or a violent domestic or a fatal car crash. Yeah. And that did happen many, many times uh, where we used to have the big cook-up on Thursday mornings in every police station, at least across Sydney, which, as I've said to you and the listeners before, was always a grand time to commit an offence because you basically, you, it was open slather in terms of there were no police on the road. And I guess logically, if criminals knew that every time it was someone's birthday, everyone had a little cook-up, then all they would have to do is, you know, get a list of police officers' birthdays and just sort of sync up crimes, you know, yeah, with that's, people's that's, birthday parties. That's lateral thinking, Paul. Yeah. Um, we, but I, I re- wish... Sorry, go on. No, but I remember we were having a major cook-up and it was, um, it was pissing down rain... And it was a major, major cook-up. It may have been near Christmas. You know, there were roast turkeys. Well, I'm not sure whether they were turkeys, but they were they were some type of bird from memory. And uh, the, you know, it was it was a big production. And there were a few uh, very diligent senior constables. One in particular, uh, the guy that, when he was climbing through a fence out in the bush, he blew a massive hole in his leg. And it never really healed that well. I mean, it kind of healed. And it just left this massive indentation where the muscle had been. And one of his party tricks was that he would sort of cock one leg. From memory, it was his right leg. And he'd sort of kind of cross his legs. And he'd have short pants on and... And everyone could see this gaping, um, it was like a crater. It was pretty big, you could put your fist in it. And uh, he would use it as an ashtray at any party. That's revolting. It's terrible but true. But this particular guy, he, um, he'd witnessed some terrible, terrible accidents that had occurred. And he told me about one accident where... Um, there were these big kind of wheels attached to heavy machinery with these massive steel sort of knobs, I guess, and they, they're used when they sort of make highways. Have I told you this story about this accident he went to and there was a young kid on a push bike? I, I, this is one of those fantastic moments where listeners are probably screaming, but please, by all means, it's, you know, it's your birthday. Indulge yourself. Okay, well, it's not really a, it's not an uplifting story oh. at all. But, but, and I know this is going to sound so weird and wacky, Paul, but Mm. um, it was this young boy's birthday. He'd received a brand new push bike. He was, from memory, well, he was under 10, and it happened in a town. I'm not going to mention the name of the town in New South Wales, but um, I can guarantee there will be listeners in that town, and this accident happened in the 1970s and this young boy had been given a really really beautiful push bike and he decided with some friends to go out and they found an area where they were making uh you know preparing a new road out of town probably sort of a highway type road and um one of the guys that was working on one of these massive machines um he they drive back and forth like graders 
and their objective is to compound the earth. And this uh, this young boy inadvertently, um, you know, I, I don't know the circumstances to this particular accident, but he more than likely would have had his back to the to the machine, and the machine's incredibly high up, and um, the the driver uh, ran over and completely squashed the boy on his bike. I mean, I'm talking about squashed him. And um, my friend and colleague, the guy who used to use the scar in his leg as an ashtray, he was the first responder to this terrible accident. And of course, imagine being in a country town where on the balance of probabilities you would have known of course, um, the family. And then he, not only did he have to deal with this completely depressing uh, accident where there were other young boys and possibly girls who may or may not have witnessed the the terrible accident but then my friend then had to go and um, do a, what's called a sort of a death notice or death notification probably the worst job in the police force anywhere on earth I've had to do a few of those um, which are diabolically horrendous um, so yeah, and, and he was. Um, how did we get into this story, Paul? Birthday, yeah. Birthdays, kind of yeah. Birthdays. Um, but he was preparing this. He used to be the guy that he was the go-to guy at North Sydney to basically organise and prepare these amazing cook-ups. And we were all sitting down, and of course you've got sort of an old-fashioned speaker in the uh, in the mess room, and we're all. It was the weather was terrible outside. And 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 this this job came over the radio that there'd been a um, a major car accident on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and this is about two thirty a.m. And we all basically had to leave this beautiful meal as we just sat down. And I'm talking a, quite a few police there. There were at least um, you know between ten and fifteen police officers because some um, police from Mossman would occasionally come over, and and there was a sense of it was a genuine sense prior to this call coming over. That was the thing you dread. You kind of knew in the back of your mind that the second you sat down to partake in a, a magnificent, heartfelt meal, because as I say, Paul, police officers doing night shift, um, whether it be your birthday or or the birth of a child or, look, there are so many different celebrations that occur whilst you're on duty. and um, there was a sense of camaraderie and and you're kind of all in the back of your mind just praying that nothing's going to happen in your area. And of yeah. course, when this accident came over the radio through VKG, six division, all, all six division cars, cars in the vicinity, um, a motor vehicle accident on the Sydney Harbour Bridge and, and, the, and you could literally, there was, it was, you know, the rain that night. And I'll never ever forget, um, and I, I'm quite sure that I have mentioned this to you and the listeners, but... You know, as we talk, it does bring back memories and um, one of the most visceral moments that I've ever witnessed in the New South Wales Police Force was when a very senior, because it was such a terrible accident, we had to get the most senior sergeant, the supervising sergeant. He was an amazing, sweet, sort of really great guy and he... um, he came back to the station some hours later and he he got one of the people trapped in the car to write 
and he, the sergeant didn't have a pen and he actually got and I'm not kidding he actually got the person to sign his notebook in blood so have I ever told you that no mm. can you tell me explain this well it was a major car accident the sergeant knew that pretty well everyone was going to die and um because what happens when police rescue rock up is that sometimes there are people within the vehicles that are deceased but sometimes there are people that they have to extricate by way of cutting them out of the cars this is in the days prior to the new south wales fire brigades or fire and rescue having anything to do with the rescue it was all police rescue and in this particular case uh, the police rescue would have come from uh, just south of the inner city so they were probably only about 10 minutes away and they rock up in these massive trucks and they've got a you know they've got lighting emergency lighting and it's and it's sort of imagine a gale force storm where the the rain's coming in sideways you've got all the emergency services so you've got the fire is there back in the 80s early 80s their role was simply to i don't say simply but their role was not um to actually actually extricate people so this particular sergeant who was in charge of the entire um you know, event, because it happened... See, you've got the Rocks Police Station. Now, the Rocks Police Station, that, that their area goes to the very middle, and I'm talking to within a millimetre of the centre of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So if it's on the southern side of the bridge and there's an accident the rocks have to do the accident. When I say have to do the accident, it's huge work. Wasn't there a show called um, The Tunnel and it's set... Yes. The Tunnel or The Bridge? The Bridge, The Bridge. And it's half... So it's the the kind of bridge between... Sweden and Denmark. And there's that body that's cut in two. Yep, yep. And that is... That that is the... I mean, there has to be delineation, doesn't there? Of course. Some, I you mean, unless, unless, of course, one country gets... No, well, it would ha- you would have to split it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, and there has to be a line. And yeah. and, and it was always a matter of... I, I remember we'd go to urgent jobs on the Harbour Bridge mm-hmm. and if it was a, a, a jumper, um, you know, someone jumping off the Harbour Bridge... Well, well, see, if they if they're on top of the bridge and they jumped down onto the roadway, and we were going to the job, I know this is going to sound a bit crass in nature of the delicacy of the of the topic, but in the back of your mind, because a suicide, let's face it, is really depressing, but if they had fallen onto the roadway, even one meter south of that invisible line on the Harbour Bridge, yeah. You'd kind of think to yourself, well, there by the grace of God go I. And you'd keep going past the incident and you'd see the police coming from the city Mm. and you knew that they had to do it. If the person jumped into, from the harbour ridge into the harbour, which was a fairly common occurrence when I was in in the police force, you know who would deal with it then, Paul? The Coast Guard? The, the Water the, Police. The, the Water Police. Coast Guard, sorry. The Water Police. Yeah. 
And of course, we know what happens to bodies if they touch the land. Then they belong to wherever they touch down. Correct. Unless uh, you would do what you know happened one night when I was working. Mm. And I think we're going to cover that in a later chapter. Shit, it's one of my favourites. I'm a really big fan of that of that story. Okay, so let's say you get to... Let's say there's someone... You've gotten the call because someone has spotted someone who's going to jump off the bridge. And let's say you get to that halfway point and it's, you know, five metres on, on the other side, on, the, on out of your jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there waiting, but the... The, people, the cops from the other side aren't coming. Are you allowed to cross the bridge, to cross yes. that, that mark? Yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't be in charge of that particular case. You would wait for the police from the rocks mm. or central. What if they never show up? Like, let's say, I'm just saying theoretically, if they never show up and it's a really time-sensitive thing. It's a really, really good question. And you have to make a really... Because at this point, it's literally life or death. Mm. Uh, or it's let's a say great question. someone's got a gun aimed at someone's head. You're not going to mm. sit there and go, well, it's not my... It's not no. my department, right? Well, you're right, Paul. But look, things were pretty, they were pretty, um, pretty full on back then. But you've also and said things were a bit loosey goosey then. So why would they not be loosey goosey in that respect? And I'm sorry well, for saying loosey goosey. No, no, that's cool. But, mm. but the thing is, at the end of the day, Paul, you knew that it was like having a car chase. You would have a couple of minutes of, and let and let's be very honest about this. You would have a few minutes of sheer, uh high adrenaline, um, I don't want to use the word ecstasy, but it was very, very exciting. Mm. No doubt about it. I loved car chases. I loved it. It was, it was. They were opportunities to put your foot down and go hard, go fast, and just see what happened. And um, I had many, many chases. In fact, that, that great first chapter in this book, the night we're heading across the... Uh, the Harbour Bridge. Yeah. Well, not, not it wasn't chapter one, but it was, you know, that great night with the white panel van. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't driving. I was in the back seat, but it's 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 high adrenaline and it's kind of, it's just amazing. But the problem with a high-speed chase or heading to, an, to, a, to a sexual assault or a, an armed robbery or a hostage situation or a massive fire where there are people trapped... We can go on and on and on about the different scenarios. Scenarios. Um, in the back of every police officer's mind, aside from the thrill of the chase, is when you get to the um, to the conclusion of this particular event. Yep. Someone has to then begin the paperwork, which can go on for years, because it may involve the coronial, an inquest or an inquiry. Yeah. And so there's that initial thrill of the chase and then there's the reality. The great thing about car chases in the New South Wales Police Force, not so much now, because they've really, really changed things. But when I was a, uh, a young police officer, they never called off a chase, ever. It was up to the police. It was up to the driver. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And um the most number of chases I've ever chases, I mean, high speed runs that I've ever had um was four in one shift. That's four full-on car chases where you're actually chasing an offending vehicle. Um, sometimes you do know what they've done; other times you don't. They're just they're just fleeing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this uh, this sergeant who was in charge, he because you've got what are called contemporaneous notes. They're notes taken at the time mm-hmm. and in court. They're the best notes you can have. And he showed me his notebook. He came in and he and there was blood. There was blood on him. There was blood on his hands. There was blood in his notebook. And this particular person, who may have perhaps been an offending driver because it was a head-on, so one car has crossed onto the other side of the Harbour Bridge on, on the lanes. Uh-huh. And, um, but I didn't go to that. I didn't go to that accident. Um, but I'll never forget he came back and he said to me, he basically showed me his notebook and he said, this is the ultimate for court. This shows that I was there and things were happening in real time. And it's, um, you know, we, we could do episodes just on, on police uh, notes that are taken could at you the talk- time. Mm. I was going to yeah. say, could you talk me through what, did, did he walk you through what happened and how, how this all went down? Um, he just explained to me that he was he was not actually the investigating officer. So okay. he leaves all that to other police, but he oversees the entire event from beginning to end because he has to make sure because he's basically the most senior police officer. They don't often go out, these really senior police officers. They quite often just stay in the station. So in TV shows where they've got you know, the captain going out with the kind of shit kickers. That's not really very accurate, is it? I mean... It's not, no. But it, but the, in fairness, they do go out to a major event. And also, if, there's a, if you're a detective, I'm assuming like a, you know, like a detective captain is probably more likely to go out because their job actually involves a bit more, a bit, a bit less kind of public facing stuff, maybe? Is that possible? Yeah. Look, the only time detectives, um, when I was in the police force, would go out at night time... You had what was called car DE, which was uh, one car, two detectives, and they were floating and they were basically covering from the middle of the Harbour Bridge to Barara, which is well, well, well north of 
Hornsby. Yeah. And for those people that might to check, like sort of check out some maps that in, it included the entire northern beaches from Manly to Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. It included Ride Eastwood. It was a geographically, it would have been hundreds and hundreds of square kilometres, and there were only two detectives, and that that was called Car DE, so districts D and E, because Sydney was divided up into probably from memory between six and eight districts. So a district is a massive area that, that covers many, many police stations. So at night time, they'd combine two districts for two detectives. Now, the detectives, they would only be called out when there was a, a really major incident. Now, a, a fatality, if there were going to be charges of culpable driving or even manslaughter, then definitely the detectives would be called to that. Now, the detectives would come in, but rank-wise, it may have been a detective senior constable and possibly a detective sergeant, but the the supervising sergeant had higher rank than those detectives, so he would have overseen um, the entire incident to make sure that everything, you know, went according. Because let's face it, Paul, in a... In a in a, in a fatality where charges may be laid and the weather's inclement, you've got a you've got to get scientific out, and they the scene. It's very difficult to preserve, possibly a crime scene in such bad weather. Right. Um, I guess the advantage that particular night was that it was very very early in the morning, which means particularly back in the eighties, there there would have been very very little traffic. Although there was no tunnel which goes underneath the harbour. Yeah. So you couldn't really sort of divert traffic easily. Um, and that's the thing about policing and, and fireys and ambos. They work in all weather. I mean, think about, you know, listeners, when you're when you're sort of in a beautiful warm bed under a doona and your windows are being buffeted by wind and rain and there's lightning and thunder and the seas are massive... Think about all those emergency service personnel who are out there in amongst it. They don't go, oh, I don't think we'll go to this because it's pissing down. They go. And it's terrible. I've been to car accidents in Sydney in storms where we've actually had to get all the people in the car accident into the back of the police cars. And and occasionally we'd get them all in the back of a paddy wagon and we'd all sit there. And we'd get all the statements whilst the paddy wagon was being buffeted by wind. I mean, surreal. So, yeah, it's pretty... Uh, you've, got to, you've sort of got to adapt and improvise and, and you just have to go, you know what? I'm here. I'm wet. I'm cold. This is a shit night. There could be dead people um, still trapped in the, in the vehicles um, because you need to find out what happened. Well, unless I'm very much mistaken... Uh... We still don't know exactly. You still haven't told us exactly why and how the person had to fill the notebook out with. Like, could you talk me through the actual story that you were told by Ashley? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what happens is, Paul, um, the sergeant, um, if it appears that someone within that's trapped within the car is capable of giving a statement whilst they're still conscious. Um, so the police will try and they don't want to interfere with the with the ambos because you know obviously sustaining life is the the paramount mm-hmm. situation. But if it looks as though it's going to be it's going to end really badly, 
and and you can still talk and there's that all there's also that situation where you've got that toxic shock situation where people are trapped in a vehicle and occasionally when they do release them it, i mean it they may them. be Im- impaled on something uh you know they may have if it's if it's sort of a one of those wagon those um like a hilux type high ace wagon where there's basically nothing in front of you there's no engine and when you have a head on in one of those things you know, it was not uncommon to at least lose your legs. Um, so, yeah, and then this particular sergeant, he managed to get a statement of this particular person that was trapped. And, um, yeah, he... Um, I think what he was trying to say to me was that later on when he went or would go to court, it was clearly, patently obvious that this statement had been taken at the time. Because let's face it, Paul, we all know about police verbals. In fact, a, a trick that police used to use back in the 1980s, when you, because there were never supposed to be any gaps in your official notebook, everything that, that you could not have ever leave a gap. And can you think why you were not supposed to leave a gap? Uh, no, I can't. Well, when you were doing a record of interview, or, you know, he said, I said, occasionally, um, police would leave gaps and they would fill stuff in later oh okay yes yeah so they'd go back to the station and depending on what type of outcome they wanted or didn't want Mm -hmm. or depending on the demeanor of the person that was going to be charged there are many many factors this sounds weird saying many factors but if you left space in your notebook you could then verbal them so I that was a, yeah. yeah. So that was the, the official notebook is um, the official notebooks that I had when I was in the New South Wales Police Force. I'll bet you my left testicle that they are still um, the physical books are still being held somewhere. Are you serious? Some, oh my yeah, god! Without a doubt, because they are really important. There could be, and there, there no doubt is information in my official notebooks going all the way back which I used in forensics and fingerprints um, you know and general duties of course and plain clothes Mm -hmm. there's stuff in those books that unless it's been put onto microfilm um, it's still the the hard copy is still somewhere I would love to see those God, I'd love to I'd love to see my uh, my official police notebook okay so continuity is very important and Mm. uh, okay so back to the the case on the bridge Hmm. So, um, yeah. Well, anyway, look, I don't. I didn't go to the accident, Paul. So no, but I'm saying, like, what what did he tell you happened? And I'm because I don't know why there's blood all over this thing. You're saying? Oh he- no, no. He was he was talking to, um, someone inside the vehicle that was um obviously on on the verge of dying, mm. and and he felt it really important to glean as much information from that person that would help him and investigators, you know, come to a uh, a conclusion. But I did not go to that accident, and I was um. I was not involved, but I just remember the look on this guy's face uh, when he came back into the station. He was uh, he was pale and uh, he was, you know, fairly traumatised. And, and to be honest with you, Paul, I'm glad I didn't go because I didn't need to see lots of people, you know, trapped in cars. It's 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 not a, not a good good scene. So the amount of blood on the notepad, I was under the impression, obviously erroneously, that the person in the car had written in the notebook in blood but what you're actually saying is the blood was because he was quite close to this guy yeah, uh, yeah. is that is that correct 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 okay. and okay. um 
and it was raining and he, you know he may have reached with his notebook in to to get this person to perhaps um you know sign because that's what you that's what you normally do yep okay when you get an oral statement of anyone you always get the person to sign and and that person may well have tried to sign the sergeant's notebook as to the correctness of the of the information that he'd supplied yep. and in doing so blood fell from his hand or body onto the notebook which just is so kind of well i think it's pretty good in a way because because later on in 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 the in the in the the calmness and the sobriety and the stillness of a court case when you present a book with blood on it i think that's that's really powerful evidence. So, why would there be a court case around a traffic accident? Like in this case, why? Well, it's a head-on collision. One car's veered onto the other side of the road, which is a and in doing so, mm-hmm. which is negligent driving. That's the the most sort of that's the least that one could expect from that particular case. But there could have been alcohol and or drugs involved. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the weather did play a role. Um, you know, it could have been buffeted by wind. You know, there could have been a lapse in concentration. There could have been a person in the car. They could have been having a domestic. The person next to that person may have grabbed the steering wheel. There are so many things. There could have been kids in the back screaming. There could have been... There are so many... And you have to get that information out really quickly. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. That makes sense. But, but um, back to um, the chapter. Uh, no, there's no time. Oh, excellent. <laughs> That's great. Well, I I assumed there would be a birthday story of some kind, and you said, well, technically there is, and then we got onto parties, and then we Mm. sort of wound our way through to this very tragic story. So whilst it wasn't a cheerful birthday episode, it was, I would say, pretty on brand for you. Mm. Um, Thank you, Paul. Coming from you, that's a real compliment. (laughs) Uh, But this, at the end of this week, on Friday, you'll be able to hear an episode that for the first time in a year, Dad and I have recorded in person, together, in the same room. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a very special, very, very special episode of Loose Ends. Dad, I think I can speak for every single person listening all across the world, all our readers and all our listeners, when I say happy birthday. Happy happy birthday. Paul, I'm, um, I'm very, very grateful. I'm, um, <clears throat> I woke up this morning and uh, there were so many lovely messages from, from listeners and readers mm. from all, all, I was going to say corners of the world, but you, you don't really divide a... The sphere into corners, do not you? A, I mean, yeah, not not unless you're a flat earther, in which case, what are you doing with your life? Uh, mm. But yeah, it's lovely to have so many people reaching out and wishing you a happy birthday, Dad. The Facebook page is just absolutely slathered. So, And you know what? Contrary to what we said at the start of the episode, send your birthday wishes to Dad as late as you want. It's totally fine. They will still be valid. So, mm. yeah. And, and Paul, if I may, just in closing... Um, Totally unsolicited, but I read a chapter of your book, um, the first book, mm. every week. Yeah, and, and in preparation, the irony being that I prepared for today, and we actually didn't really touch on that chapter, which is great because that that'll happen down the track. But you know, for people that have read your first book, it's amazing. But can I commend the second book um, because it's it's next level writing, which is not to say, you know, it's just it's like everything in life. I guess you you evolve, and um, you know there was the first story, and the stories, um, but then you know the the sort of the maturity and the and the just the total, just 
I mean, I don't like comparing the books because I think that's because they're both unique. Um, but you know, the second book, um, it's it's next level. That's that's extremely nice of you to say, Dad. I am. Look, if I the first book led to the podcast, but Electric Blue came from the podcast, and as a result, by that point, I think I'd kind of you know perfected the format a lot better, and I think I'm a better writer now. So I think it's. As far as a, an actual book goes, structurally and writing-wise, I just I love it. I I was so I was I'm so proud of it. So yeah, that's very very kind of you. I'm glad and, you think so, and I hope everyone out there has grabbed a copy. And if not, you can. It's it's available yeah, all over the mind world. Mind blowing. Yeah. And also, Paul um, and listeners, and it just I've just realised as I'm sitting here talking to you, Paul. Yeah. That that um. It was a year ago today. That we did a live show in Brisbane. Are you serious? And, pe- and people made their way that night. Well, it was two nights, but on the first night, people made their way across through the crowd and presented me with presents. Do you remember that? Oh God, I do. And that was a year ago today. Oh my God! Amazing, isn't it? One yeah. year. And that night, if I could have looked out into the crowd and and seen what was going to happen in in the world, mm. quite frankly, I would think it's well, out of a, dare I say it, a Stephen nice. King novel. <laughs> it does feel like science fiction, but it's been a really weird 12 months. We And you know what? The, the only reason we started doing this... By the way, I would like to just quickly remind listeners, Loose Ends, our second episode every week, that was Dad's idea. So Dad basically just harangued myself and Tegan and just said we should be doing a, you know, a bonus episode each week uh, to keep people company throughout lockdown. And Loose Ends is the thing, more than the regular podcast, Loose Ends like, brought Dad and I closer together, brought you know all of us closer together. It also, I think, kept the two of us sane during lockdown mm. and really helped our relationship. So it's kind of full circle for us to be able to actually see each other in person at the end of this week, Dad. I think it's really, it's about time. It, it's you know? mind-blowing. And, and to the listeners also, I like Christine really has been very much affected by not seeing our three children. Mm. It has not affected me as much with you, Paul. Because of the show. Because, because of the show. I talk to you twice a week. Yeah. And and I really feel as though our connection is super strong. And, yep. you know, it's going to be very surreal, everyone sitting with... Cause so the next podcast you hear, everyone, after this one, which will be this Friday, Paul and I will be sitting in the same room, which, which is, is going to be weird. really exciting. It's going to be great. I mean, I'm I'm really thrilled and you should be able to hear the difference because you will you will hear two people who are very grateful to actually be in the same room again. So, yeah, uh, yeah. it's going to be a great great episode. Now, this episode of Loose Units is brought to you by The Stand, the epic and frankly disturbing new series on Amazon Prime Video. Oh, and by the by, dad, listeners can watch The Stand now. New episodes are out every week on Amazon Prime Video and The Stand, as you're very well aware, uh, now being a very big, objectively huge fan of the show because you won't stop messaging me about it. It's an adaptation of Stephen King's huge 1978 novel of the same name. And I do mean huge. I mean, I have this thing on my bookshelf and I had a copy when I was younger and it's it's almost a, a perfect square. It's a cube. It's a very big book. And The Stand is about a strain of influenza called Captain Trips, which I think would make an amazing rap name, FYI, which sweeps across the world and wipes out 99% of the human population. Now... There are now seven episodes of The Stand out there in the world, Dad. Seven, with more being released every week. Are you enjoying the show so far, Dad? Paul? 
I am not normally known to be prone to exaggerate. Oh, shut up. All you do is exaggerate. Exactly. I rest my case. Okay. So let me just say this. Mm-hmm. I'm beyond thrilled to have this extraordinary experience to delve deeply into the mind of Stephen King. Mm. The portrayal of this series is I can actually binge watch it. In fact, if if 100 episodes came out, mm-hmm. which I know that's sort of, there weren't 100, I'd watch the 100 back to really? back. Really? Yep. I'd, just, I'd clock off for a week. But, I mean, you, you and mum watched the first two episodes pretty fast, mm. right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert, you, you obviously you're not going to stop mum from watching. You guys start no. watching a lot of TV. So, when you got episodes three, four, five, six, seven, how quickly did you watch those bad boys? Um, over two nights. That's, that's a lot of TV. Yeah, but, I mean, why not? I mean, you, you, you want continuity. Yeah, of course. Back in the olden days, Paul, back in the 1970s, <laughs> Jesus Christ. when a series would come out, uh-huh. you had to wait and wait and wait. And it was, it was torture. But in today's wonderful climate, mm. what we have the, the wonderful uh, benefit of doing yeah. is you can sort of back-to-back um, sort of bookcase, whatever you like, uh-huh. and just say to yourself, look, this weekend I'm going to have a mind-blowing weekend with Stephen King and The Stand and just take yourself to another place. It's not a good place. I mean, it's a great show. One of the things about The Stand is as this season progresses, it becomes very, very clear that the world is getting... The world of the show, that is, is getting objectively scarier and worse. But, Dad, last time we talked about The Stand, you talked about how much you adored the casting. Incredible. Fantastic. Yeah, there was a quote that grabbed me from the City Morning Herald. Uh, Marsden Stu Redman is an engaging and buoyant hero, and Alexander Skarsgård's Randall Flagg is compelling in every way. The reason I wanted to mention that quote is because we both really have enjoyed James Marsden's character of Stu Redman. How do you feel? I love yeah, him. He's a great look. How how wonderful are the people that chose the? I mean, what a thrilling job to actually go through a script and imagine in your mind the best possible fit for all the characters and i think they've nailed it yeah i mean you, you just a, uh... you, you just well my favorite character mm. um i kind of i'm gonna go out on a limb here paul but i kind of like the creepy young bad guy well, you did he... him yeah you mentioned that last time mm. are, are you are you enjoying his trajectory in the show are you finding it disturbing do you do you <laughs> he's you a mess going... he's, he's really messed up yeah. um he's so the thing about really great acting is that we mere mortals often imagine that that's actually what they're like in real life. Right. So if you kind of... And it's weird to think that they actually just come on and do the role, then go back to being sort of normal. Yeah, but by that rationale, do you think that James Marsden, Stu Redman... So by all accounts, James Marsden is in real life as kind of gorgeous and heroic as he is in the show... But one of the things about James Marsden, Stu Redman, and about a lot of the survivors, it's becoming pretty clear as the, as the stand rolls on, is that they're all very, very good at surviving in a kind of post-apocalyptic environment, right? Mm. Now, we were talking off mic recently, and you revealed something to me just after you'd watched episode seven of The Stand. So, Paul, we're sitting watching The Stand, and I'm mm. looking at Christine... And I made this comment. I said, Christine, do you not find it weird, all these people that are sort of preparing for sort of, you know, well, basically prepping? Mm. And Christine looked at me sort of rather sheepishly and she said, well, actually, I'm a kind of um, 
I like to sort of prepare for the unknown. And I was, I, if I had have been standing, I would have fallen. But fortunately, I was sitting, so I couldn't fall any further. But I oh, was, so it I wasn't was, the case. It was the sit, not the stand for you. Oh, very, very good, Paul. Thanks. Uh, and I was quite, um, I, I mean, the, the signs uh, should have been fairly obvious, but Christine's done it fairly discreetly. What do you mean? How can, I mean, because the people in the stand, you know, they're rifling around for ammo. They're kind of finding like-minded people. They're forming up convoys. They're getting medicine and supplies. How was mum prepping? She was doing it online, just basically researching, uh, you right. know, worst-case scenarios. Mm. And I guess um, if the uh, proverbial hits the fan one day, then uh, we'll be prepared. Thank you, uh, Christine. All right. So... Mm- joining the cast of The Stand in Season 2, my mum, apparently. Uh, So, are you excited to see where the rest of the season goes? Beyond excited. We're all really keen to see how this series unfolds. There are so many players on the board at this point in The Stand. I mean, you've got Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Abigail. Thank you. Uh, And she's sort of a mysterious and ancient woman guiding the good guys using the power of dreams, which sounds like a My Little Pony kind of thing, but it's really cool. It's like Gandalf-grade magic. You've got Randall Flagg guiding the baddies using nightmares. You've got survivors of this virus battling it out. And you've got, well, you know, the end of the freaking world. So seven episodes in and no signs of slowing, folks. And Paul, um, I would just like to put it on record that my um, dream state since I've been watching The Stand, mm-hmm. has dramatically altered. Really? Yes, I'm going into places that I didn't even know existed. Well, if you get approached in a cornfield, please let myself and the listeners know because I, I think that's gonna that's probably a bad sign or a good one depending on who you see there. Anyway, watch The Stand right now, new episodes weekly on Amazon Prime Video. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Have a brilliant week, and we will see you at the end of this week for our very first in a year in-person episode of Loose Ends. Take it easy, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, dear, Paul. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.